I don't know about you, but I get really excited listening to men in their fatherhood experience, but even more so listening to men who are taking that father figure experience in a really deep, self-aware, spiritual level, just beyond the surface. And today, I think you're really going to enjoy listening to my friend Marcel as he explains the moment in his young fatherhood time that really set the pace for the kind of father he wanted to be. And moms, I think you're going to find this really interesting because it was not at the birth of his baby, which is something really common that I hear for fathers. It happens after. And that to me is important to know as a mother. And you'll also want to bookmark this and forward this to other dads that you know, because Dads also need more support, more voices to be heard in on their own experience. So my name is Giselle Beaumet, and you're listening to the Parenting Alchemy podcast. And here at the Parenting Alchemy, I help parents to raise good human beings using connection-based parenting techniques and inner child self-healing techniques. So let's jump in. I am a journey father slash mm. big brother, slash best friend. Mm. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love a journey father, yeah. slash best friend. And what was the second one? Big brother. And big brother. And do you have, uh, it's a, what's the gender of your four-year-old? Oh, my four-year-old, he is a boy. And he will be five August 30th. And he also starts kindergarten this year. So I'm about to go Ooh. to another level in my journey as a father. Mm. So, right. yeah, I'd love, I want to, I I literally wrote down journey father because I, I just love that, that term that you brought. Uh-huh. Let's speak to that. Like, I know, I know because when you and I talked before and how I got to hear you talking like I know your self-awareness I know that you see fatherhood as this sacred work that you get to do and I I want to pick your brain with that like I want to hear how you landed here you know like how and not even land is not really the word because you're still going but like how how you got to this place in this mindset okay well for starters, um, when I grew up, I was the independent kid. I was a middle child. So in a lot of households, it might not be done intentionally, but the middle child is normally the forgotten one, the overlooked one, you know, and I had an older brother who was about five and a half years older than me. And I had a younger brother who was a year and a half younger than me. So, you know, the oldest one gets all the best of everything, you know, and the baby gets the most attention. So Mm. that leaves me in the middle (laughs) and um, I was just independent. I kind of did things on my own. Like they told me when I was like two and three years old, I would have a laptop and I'd come out of a room smelling like xylophone and stuff like that with nobody teaching me. I was really good at math. And um, both of my brothers were kind of like mama's boys. And um, we was in Germany at the time as well. So my dad was in the military. Um, Mm for the part of the life that he was a part of, you know, I really don't remember because I left Germany around five 
and came to Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he was still in the military then. So by the time I came here, I was in the first grade and around like third or fourth grade, I think my dad got deployed and then my parents divorced shortly after because my dad was deployed, I think, back to back for like two years and then they divorced. So my dad wasn't really in my life at all um, from the age of from elementary school to now. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't know how to take it. But when I was in school, before the whole divorce thing happened, um, I was already like a straight A or AB honor student. Um, I was, I guess, concerned with, you know, academics and stuff really heavy. And I prided myself on being intelligent. And if I had to pick a side, I, I guess I would say I leaned more towards my dad. I don't know why, because I don't really remember anything about him. But um, I just tended to lean more to that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I didn't see him as much and because my mom would be play the disciplinarian role. But um, I, I, I guess I just never really connected to my mom. So I guess the only other person would be my dad. But since he wasn't there, it was just like I kind of didn't connect to anybody. So um, from from the time that I found out that they were splitting up, my grades like took a uh, 180 in school. I, I, I didn't really care about much. I didn't cry or anything when um, the divorce took place. I guess I was kind of just like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Numb. I, I guess I just went kind of numb and didn't really care about things anymore. So from that day forward up till now, I was just like, okay, if I ever have kids, uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm 100% involved in their life because I know how it feels for not just my father, but both parents to not be at any of my events, um, any concerts, any special events that I had, um, show support the way I felt like it should have been shown. And um, so when I had my son, I was I was still getting out of the military. So in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, I know that the military is still disciplining me like through strict code, um, enforcing rules, uh, punishment for every infraction. So I was like, okay, I might want to be like that with my son because, you know, you, you think of fatherhood as, you know, a strict disciplinarian, especially when you have boys. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't see, I didn't even have a role model to go off of uh, or a father figure. I mean, I would say my grandfather, but he only spent time with him every summer. So um, I, I didn't really have anything to go off of. Um, as far as the fatherhood was concerned. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was a little different. So when I had him, like, it was still a shock to me when he was born. Like it didn't even hit me that I was a father until like maybe a year in. And mm-hmm. um, my son had already gravitated towards me from the beginning. And a year after, a year after uh, he was born, I had divorced my wife at the time. Um, you know, due to a whole bunch of other reasons to include being unfaithful and all kinds of other things. So it started, my, my journey as a father, I can say officially started uh, when me and his mother split, because now it was just like, there, there is no help. Like, I can't, I can't give him to his mom if I don't want to mm-hmm. deal with the baby crying and stuff. Um, and to be honest, I used to hate baby cries. Like before I was a father, I couldn't stand baby cries. Like it would make me, it would kind of just, it would just, I guess, piss me off. For example, I just, I just couldn't stand the sound of baby cries because I don't like, I don't like seeing suffering. And obviously, mm-hmm. with babies, <laughs> at some point, you don't know what to do. They're just gonna keep crying. Mm-hmm. So I 
I remember one time I was I was taking care of my son and he was crying really hard and his mom was at work and this was before we split and I did everything I could and he kept crying so I went I had to go run water in the bathroom and put my ears beside the running water to kind of help me relieve the stress of baby crying mm. and I was like that that would that I guess that I kind of changed from that point because I was like this is this isn't healthy I don't think it's healthy that I, that I'm doing this right now like it's it's just a baby crying and I think from that day forward like I kind of started to shift my point of view as to like okay I don't need to be uh, a strict or a hard parent because they have nobody to tend for them but me and his mother mm-hmm. and I've always felt like there's supposed to be a connection between parents. And again, like I didn't have any experience in, a, you know, a bond between father and son because my father wasn't there. So I started working on the bond since that day. And right, I guess a few months after when we finally split, I used to have my son every single day, Monday through Friday until his mom got off work. And, and then I would have him on weekends. That was just a, like a schedule we set up um, to kind of, I guess, make it easy for both of us. And um, that's where the bond really started. Like, uh, he would watch me play video games. I used to stream uh, Call of Duty on mm. on the PlayStation, and he would sit there beside me and watch. Uh, I would play piano. He would sit beside me and watch. And I was a musician at different churches, and my son would sit beside me and watch. Mm. So it was a thing of, like, at, at one point, there was a point where, I kind of just wanted to just let a baby be a baby and like let them play with their toys and be independent because that's kind of how I was. And mm-hmm. I would let them watch their favorite TV shows or or kind of learn on their own, kind of like how Montessori schools do. You set up like little stations mm-hmm. in their room and then play over here, read over here. And um, I found it to be beneficial for him because he was highly intelligent, but he wouldn't speak a lot. He would only respond really to... Um, I guess the people that he really liked and around the age of two um, me and his mother had a falling out and she took him from me and, and hid him from me for about 10 days. Mm. And um, I had no idea where he was at. Um, The police wouldn't do anything because there was no custody order. So it was kind of like, I just have to wait for her to bring him back to me because if I would have went to her house, um, we are all familiar with how the court systems look at uh, mm-hmm. situations between mother and father. So um, I kind of just had to play it by ear and wait for her to bring him to me. And um, when she did, she tried to come back a week later and get him. And I was like, I don't want him to go because she put him in daycare. So I missed his first day of daycare because uh, mm. uh, his, his mother was being spiteful. And she wanted me to get back with her. And I wouldn't because, again, she wasn't faithful. So she would... She's the one, she did the thing where you like dangle the kid over the father's head to try and get them to act out. Mm-hmm. And um, so she put him in daycare. So I missed his first day of daycare. And then um, she came over my house and broke into my apartment. Um, and I called the police after I forced her out of my apartment. I called the police. They told her that she couldn't take them. So then she went and filed, filed a false police report <laughs> on me. And then she got temporary custody for 30 days and I couldn't see him. Mm. So I went into depression for like yeah. a day or two. 
I went into depression for about a day or two because I was used to having them every single day. And the first two days, like I didn't leave the house. I didn't really do anything. And keep in mind, like I used to stream on Call of Duty and I had just decided two weeks prior to the incident, I said, okay, I'm going to get rid of my video game and I'm going to start focusing on, you know, my goals and stuff like that. So generally, had I had that game system, the first thing I probably would have did was went straight to the game system to try and block out everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got rid of it. And that was like my escape from reality at the time. So at that point, I think I started watching motivational videos on YouTube and I came across Tom Bilyeu. And then I came across Dave Meltzer, Ed Milet, and then David Goggins. So those four guys completely changed my life. And I was like, you know what? I don't have my son, but I have all of this free time. So I need to figure out what I'm about to do. And that's when I wrote my first book and I dedicated the the book to my son and it was called get rid of yourself. It was like seven negative traits that we should get rid of um, to, to change our perception on life. And I became extremely disciplined. I was like, I got to have something to show for whenever I do get my son back. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book in about four and a half weeks. I wrote 500 words per day and wow. I, I I got the book out and I went back to court. My lawyer was trash. I, I hired one of the best lawyers, but I, I should have known I hired a female attorney and she, she didn't really care at all about my case. Like I did all the groundwork. I got all of the evidence. Um, I did everything uh, to, and I, and I had to convince my ex-wife to take me off of child support. Cause again, my attorney didn't do anything. So to this day now, um, we both have equal custody. I'm not on child support. So I wouldn't say the court system prevailed. I would say I did (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I did all of the work. But my son got uh, separation anxiety from that. So Mm -hmm. for a time, like I used to sneak up to the daycare to see him and he would be excited. And I promise you, I tried my I I did my best not to cry at all during the process Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to see I didn't want him to see that. And, um, you know, he would be excited, but, you know, he couldn't leave with me. So um, since that day, uh, my son has never looked at his mother the same again. Um, He's always excited to come to my house um, and just genuinely spend time with me. And once once that situation happened, I, I would guess that that situation made me and my son's bond a whole lot stronger because now I, I'm not I'm I'm not a disciplinarian in the sense that you know I spank kids. I do not believe in spanking kids at all, um, mm-hmm. because I understand like most competent adults that kids' brains are not fully formed at three and four years old, mm-hmm. and and they're still learning. So I just reiterate over and over and over and over again, and because what kids like to look for is for you to break, and to see how far they can go. So they'll keep asking questions over and over again, or they'll inch closer to the thing that you told them not to touch. Mm-hmm. But I, I found that when you just continue to reiterate to them, you know, and teach them like why they can't do something or, or why you can't have this at this time, um, it, it starts to get through the through to them eventually. And being that my son knows that I'm not going to, you know, abuse him or hit him, um, he's much more likely to be open with me. And, you know, um, I, I know that makes them push it a little bit further, but 
that also gives him a little bit more respect as well because he's like, I, I don't hit him. His mother does sometimes, but he knows that I, I'm not here to harm him. I'm, I'm here to teach him. Mm-hmm. And um, like my son, like he'll come over and he loves reading my book. The book that I wrote, uh, I guess, to dedicate towards him when I didn't have him, he reads that book all the time. And he's, like I said, he's four, but he reads on like a third, fourth grade level. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I teach him how to read. Uh, I teach him math. I actually teach him about the stock market as well. Um, I teach him definitions. He knows what knowledge is. He knows what uh, information is. He knows what uh, shifting is. He, he even said paradigm the other day and inferiority. And then while we're reading it, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> like, like, okay. Like a lot of these things I didn't even have to help him with. So um, at this point in time, like my discipline is more so just um, reiterating over and over and over again. Like, cause I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it does get annoying, but I, I can't break character. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be the same yesterday, the day and the day after. So he knows, you know, kind of what to expect. Cause I don't want to fly off mm. the handle one day. And it's just like, well, who is this? But um, yeah, my son, my son respects me not out of fear, but out of love. And mm. that's, that's the point that I wanted to, you know, instill in him that he can respect me enough to do what I asked him to do, but also to be able to come to me with his questions. So like when he's mad or upset, um, I, I ask him why he's upset and try to get him to explain why he's mad or upset versus getting an attitude because he's upset. Cause I, I've seen it happen with my parents. I've seen it happen with his mother. Um, it's like, instead of figuring out why they're mad, why they're throwing things, the first thing most parents have to do is discipline to stop them from doing that. Right. And it's like a kid doesn't innately know not to throw something across the room or to to jump on toys or to mm. not touch something that's really hot. They they're testing things. Their sensory their sensors are going off and they just want to touch and get into everything. So instead of teaching them um what not to do and asking them and explaining to them, most parents resort to hitting. And you know, as we all know as adults, when you're an adult, you know, people don't just go around hitting you for you doing the wrong mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't they don't hit you. Your boss doesn't hit you when you don't show up to work on time. Your boss doesn't hit you when you don't do a deadline <laughs> or when you mess up at work. They don't just come in there and hit you. They explain to you what you did wrong and give you warnings. And I do the same thing with him. And another thing, one of the biggest things I think that has been beneficial was like timeout. Like my son used to be scared of timeout, but now not really. Because when I put them in timeout, uh, most parents, you know, they make they put them in a chair and make them face the corner of the wall. What I do is I put my son in a chair and I give him like one toy to hold or something, because there's not a point in life where somebody just completely takes everything from you mm-hmm. and leave you completely isolated with nothing like life. Life may beat you down, but you have options. Right. Mm-hmm. In timeout, you don't have options. You just stare at a wall. And that that doesn't really do anything. So. Um, I, I honestly can't remember the last time I put my son in timeout because now he understands it's not a thing where he expects me to hit him. But if he does anything wrong and he knows he does anything wrong, the first thing he comes does, he <laughs> the first thing he comes to do is taps me on my shoulder and is like, Daddy, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, or mm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this or do that. And it's just like, all right, cool, like don't do it again. And he's yes. just like, okay. 
So that that was a, a big thing for me as well. Um, he understands when he does something wrong and, mm-hmm. and he'll come and apologize versus hiding, you know, because most kids, mm-hmm. you break something, they're going to go hide because they don't want to get hit. He'll come up to me and say, um, I think I did this or I think I did that. And, you know, uh, I'm I'm glad that he's able to be upfront and honest with me because sometimes he might say he did do something when he know he did. But again, when you ask questions, I, one thing I love is eye contact. Um, kids' eyes wander all over the place. We know their attention span isn't that <laughs> long. So we'll talk and we'll make eye contact and then he'll start looking all over the place and I'll be like, eyes, eyeballs, eyeballs. And he'll look. And when we make that connection, it's like the words I'm saying don't even matter. He just understands what my intention is. Yes. And um, he gets it. Like, I don't have to explain anymore. It's just like he gets it when we make eye contact. And it's not like that. I'm trying to induce fear eye contact. It's that understanding eye contact. Mm-hmm. Like we both need to have an understanding of what's going on here. And I, I think that my son understands that and, and thrives off of that. Yeah. Like and Marcel, he, he fully understands that. I mean, first of all, I'm in, I am in awe. Okay. <laughs> I wrote, yeah. Marcel, what's, what's your second book, by the way? My second book is called Hack Yourself, Design Your Life, or Accept Your Fate. Okay. You uh, May I suggest you write a children's book as well? Be- you know, <laughs> I actually started on that. I started okay. on that a few years ago, and I never picked it up. And I actually called the book uh, The Middle Child, uh, mm. The Forgotten One. And I, and I, I wrote like maybe like two or three pages because I wanted it to be a short story. But I realized, like, I can't make a book out of three, <laughs> three pages. So <laughs> I actually want to revisit that. Mm-hmm. You have a really, really good understanding of a child and of a child's world. And, and what I found fascinating is you knew early on, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't have that. I mean, you were young. And you right. knew, I don't like this. I don't like that connection. So that awareness was was there as, as a young child and took you all through your life to then relive, like come back to itself once you had your son. And then I also found it so fascinating that that one year mark where uh, with the water, where, where it hit you, wait a minute. He's supposed to have emotions. I'm supposed to help him regulate them. Right. And right. and I'm hiding from them, but this is this is what he's supposed to do. And I'm supposed to help him. And then that shift that happened, I mean, you're using communication, you're creating boundaries that he he gets to test because he feels safe. He feels right. safe and secure and knowing without fear and knowing. I can test my boundaries. He's not going to break. He's consistent. I think that's the thing that fatherhood really is is fundamental is that consistency. And then you're resilient. You are so resilient. Oh my gosh. You are so resilient. And the guide and the mentorship. I got a I got a call coming in. So I had a let me see what happens fine? real quick. Let me see what happens when I hit air. 
Oh. Are we still here? Yes. I, I'm not hitting airplane because I got afraid that things were going to disappear if I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so All when right. I get a call, I'll stop. <laughs> but you're you're providing a guide and a mentor to him with this strong connection. And he knows it. Like, that's what I find amazing. It's like, he knows it. You are doing it because he knows it. So you're doing your job. The proof is in his ability to come up to you and tell you, I did this wrong and know that you'll just help him through it. Yeah. That, I mean, can you imagine as he grows up, that's how he will see the world. I love that you're connecting what happens in real life and how you want him to feel in real life. Like you don't want him to feel that he's alone or that he has to be afraid of of people. So he's going to grow up not feeling that he's alone. He's growing up not being afraid of the world. And he's growing up to know I give grace and I accept grace. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Marcel. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, like, sometimes I, I had to I had to take a step back and look because like, I know my my ex-wife, when she would discipline him, she would discipline him and then call me to, I guess, reiterate her discipline. And I wouldn't do it. I would just talk to him. Like she, she would pop him a few times or spank him or something like that. And then she'll call me like, can you talk to him? And I would ask her, I would say, did you discipline him already? And she's like, yes. It's like, so why are you calling me? So then I would, you know, we'd be on FaceTime and I would talk to him. And I'll be like, you know, what did you do, Carter? And he'll say whatever. And I'll be like, it's okay. You'll see me in a few days. Um, you know, but just don't do that. Something like that. And then she would want me to be like, so that's it. That's all you're going to say. And instead of going back and forth, especially in front of him, I just hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. And like, so for her, she would expect me to do more. My my mother would, would say that I'm not being as hard on him as I should. The daycare teacher would say I'm not being as hard on him as I should. And I would just block all of that out because for mm-hmm. me, my, my parents weren't the parents that I needed growing up and neither, neither one of them really showed me any support. So um, I, w- I, I've, I've told my parents on several occasions that I believe that they were, well, my mother was more so there, but I would say that she was just a guardian because like I didn't learn any life skills. I wasn't instilled with any like life changing knowledge or anything that I could take with me, like all parents say you should save money. All parents say you should go to college or the military. All parents say go get a good job. But like there was, there was a huge component that was missing, which was educational life. And I don't, Mm. I don't want to put the blame on them because they wasn't, I guess, exposed to that growing up, but it was a thing of like my, I've heard on several occasions, my father say that his father was the best thing that could have ever happened to him. And then Mm. I'm like, if that was the case, where where was any of what your father instilled in you for us growing up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was non-existent. So again, like my whole my whole knowledge and understanding of what family is changed um, when I understood that okay, I'm not getting the support that I need, and and the I guess the love and the encouragement that I need. So I have to instill it in my son because I want mm-hmm. my son to be able to look up. I don't, I don't care if my son has a pencil sharpening contest, like he's going to look up and he's going to see me somewhere <laughs> in the crowd. 
like, go sharpen that pencil. Or if he has a shoe mm-hmm. tie contest, or if he's doing a nuclear bomb, like I want, I want my son to know that whatever he got going on, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, again, like I was saying, like me, I, I educate my son because I wasn't educated growing up. I was the independent one. I was, I was learning how to spell on my own, read on my own, do math on my own. So I like, I want to be there for my son to, uh, to make sure that like he doesn't have to figure out life on his own. Cause like me, I'm still figuring out life on my own and mm-hmm. I'm 29 years old. So it's like, I don't, I don't have really somebody that I can go to for advice because I, again, I don't, I don't really trust people like that. Um, specifically because, you know, I, I couldn't trust, you know, the people raising mm-hmm. me growing mm-hmm. up. So now like I get my connections from people inside the spiritual community who are about for progression, healing, childhood trauma, all of that. And I think that's what makes some parents the best parents. They, the parents who are still understanding their childhood trauma and going through that, a lot of those parents make the best parents because those are the ones who really dig deep and do that shadow work and try to understand their inner child that was neglected growing up. And then they want to make sure that the inner child in that kid that they have grows up to be an adult like you don't want to mm-hmm. always have the inner child in you. The, the whole purpose of the inner child is to grow with the child into an adult so then it becomes an inner adult not an inner child inside of an adult because then that's where addictions come in and that's where um uh, uh non-satisfaction comes in um and a lot of missed opportunities come in and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want that to happen to my son. And I, I was obviously tired of going through it myself. So I, I, I really try to cultivate the inner child in him while he's a child so that mm-hmm. he doesn't have to look back at childhood and say, well, I wish I had this or I, I missed out on these opportunities or I missed out on that opportunity. It's more of a thing like I, I understood what was going on as a child, <laughs> you know, so when I got older, I know how to solve problems. I know who I can reach out to for help. But for people like me, when I grew up, it was one of those things like, you know, what do I do? Like, I'm completely confused. And I don't want to reach out for help because I don't even know what that's supposed to be like. Like, I've always had a problem with gratitude. Like, I I didn't really know how to, I guess, thank people or accept people's compliments and things like that because it's just like, I didn't get this growing up. You know, Mm -hmm. if I did get compliments, they would be like your general compliments that people generally give to people who do something good. But it wasn't like, you know, that reassuring confidence instilled in me growing up. I didn't have the highest self-esteem growing up. So mm-hmm. I want my son, like if my son dances, he'll do all kinds of crazy dances. If he asked me to do crazy dances, like I'll look crazy to, to make sure that he feels, you know, complete, that he feels love, that he feels like somebody's inside of his circle, inside of his little bubble. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really believe that my son is going to 100% appreciate that as we go 100. further on the block. 100%. 100. 100. I mean, you, you're, what you're doing with the work that you're doing through your child, and I love cultivate the inner child while he's a child, you are breaking the pattern. You're breaking right. that cycle, you know, because for me, I had... It's similar. You know, some of the things you're saying, I'm like, yep, yep. And I I also knew I wanted a parent differently. But, you know, part 
when I look back, I, even when I look back at, and I didn't have my dad in my life either. And when I look back at the adults around me that were supposed to be cultivating that in a child while I was Mm -hmm. a child and didn't, they were dealing with their own trauma. They never got to the place like that you're at or that we got to, like they were still in it trying to raise. And so what they viewed, like I think about your, your dad saying, my dad was the best thing. Who knows what he viewed as the best thing, right. you know, because he was still looking at it through the lenses of trauma, you know, and, and that's why I, I truly believe that's also why people do tell other parents, oh, you got to spank them, you got to hit them, you got to do this is because they're right. still looking at it through the trauma eyes, like they're, that self-awareness isn't there yet. And hopefully at one point it's there, but not always does it come. And so I had to give grace first to those people who, who failed me as a child because they were failed, you know, as, as a child, and they were just passing that on and, um, and breaking that cycle. And what you're doing is, is that you're breaking the cycle. Your son is not going to have to do the work to the level that you have had to do. (laughs) You made the path easier for him. (laughs) Yeah. And and when I think about, you know, young men as they as they grow up, he's a child now, but as he grows up and becomes a young man and then eventually a man, it's like the future looks bright, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. The future looks bright. It is because the generation now of parents who because my community and the people I try to be around are those people, people like you. And people that that have that awareness, I relate to that. And, you know, and, and so that work, and I know the work, I know that part of the healing is raising kids this way. You know, like as my kids, I have, I have four. And so I have a eight-year-old to a 16-year-old. And okay. I, they have taught me everything about healing because... <laughs> They put on my face what I need to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's like when he was a baby, when your son was a baby at that one year old and you were and, and you were running that bathtub, that was him putting on your face. OK, look, here's where you need to grow. And right, so that right. and, and, and you're like, I'm stepping into it. I'm OK. I'm stepping into that space. I'm going to take that calling. I am going to grow because you need me to grow. And that's how it's been with my kids continuously is, is they put to my face, all right, look, this is where you need to grow. And I, and if I'm willing to step into it, I become a better person, become a better parent. And then they get that parent, you know, they get that parent that they deserve to have. Right. So man, I just, I feel everything that you're saying because um, you're reparenting. And especially when you said, you know, you don't want to keep that inner child in you. Like uh, you want to keep cultivating your own inner child so that your child grows up and says, look, we're, I gave you now, I gave you what you needed. I gave you, I myself gave you what yeah. you needed because your parents yeah. cannot. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's still ongoing. You know, there are parts of, of my inner child that I'm still trying to raise, you know? <laughs> yeah, me too. Because <laughs> I, I, I deal sometimes with the forgiving my parents thing sometimes because it's like sometimes 
I want to cultivate a relationship with them that I didn't have growing up, but it's kind of like I've, I've grown so much that it's like, I, I don't even know what it's supposed to look like. I, I don't know what a, a father and son relationship is supposed to be like, or a mother and son relationship is supposed to be like. And I don't want to look at other people's relationships because their lives are completely different. So um, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, I, I communicate, you know, every now and again from afar. But um, I, I don't, I, I, at one point I did hold it against them that they didn't really teach me anything and I didn't get what I needed. But I also understand that they may or may not have been there. They obviously wasn't exposed to the knowledge that I have, or that's out now, like readily available, because I mean, honestly, who was really going around to libraries, reading books on psychology and mm-hmm. going to college to study like behavioral patterns and children's psych psyche so um a lot of this stuff really came through my spiritual journey um because at one point i I was a christian and i know for most christians they beat their kids because there's a scripture that says spoil the rod spoil the child Mm -hmm. and that that is a (laughs) i guess a green light for people Mm -hmm. to spank their kids um and not understanding that rod can just simply mean discipline it doesn't have to mean a belt or an extension cord or Mm -hmm. a stick you know it can mean instilling discipline you're right teaching them right from wrong um versus just letting them run wild so and again i I also take you know beating kids back to slavery because at Mm -hmm. some point there were some people that would you know run away from the trend the plantations and you know, they will also, they would beat their kids so that the master wouldn't have to beat their kids. Mm-hmm. But also they would beat their kids so that at a moment's notice that they needed them to move and they were serious, that would get them to act without question. It's kind of like in the military, you're taught to follow orders without question. And um, I understand how that works back then. You know, it makes sense back back then it might have worked, um, but we're in a completely different time now. And I understand that it was passed down from them mm-hmm. all the way down to now, too. So, again, like I don't really hold them accountable, but I've always said personally, if you can't teach somebody without enforcing pain or inflicting mm. pain, then you're probably not a good teacher. Mm. Um, mm. And that's something I've always stuck by. That's something I've always stuck by. If you, if you can't teach without inflicting pain, then you're not a good teacher. I I agree so much. That's always helped me when it came to when my son um, would act out like, because my son, he's generally well behaved at home. But as soon as he's out in public, he just likes to run, jump, touch everything. (laughs) And um, one thing I had to realize is that kids who feel loved and taken care of and safe, they tend to act out. Yep. You know what I mean? They're generally fun, happy jumpy people because they they're they're excited about being loved and taken care of Mm -hmm. and and being in places out in the open that's not the house with with the parent that they love and the one that's taking care of them so i i had to take back another step and look at that like okay like because i used to get upset like come on just stand still like just walk beside me just do this just do that but it's just like he's just so excited to be in the presence of each other right he's just so happy to be out in the open with Mm -hmm. me that he his all of his senses are going off 
So um, that's another thing that I had to understand. Like, I, obviously, I still don't just let them run around and jump around the store. But it's like I understand why you're doing this. It's because you're happy. It's not because you want to disobey or you don't want to listen. It's because you're you're too excited to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be out in public. So, yes. you know, it's it's a learning experience. And they're experiencing the world through all of their senses in the very moment they're at, you know, they're in, in the things they're looking at and the places they want to go. They're not thinking about all the things that we are, right. you know? And so uh, I've, I've done similarly. I mean, my leech has always been really long. <laughs> like yeah. as long as they weren't destroying something they weren't supposed to destroy uh, or, or, or anything that socially inter- and even socially to be honest I can't even really say that because there's some social stuff that I'm like sorry you know my <laughs> my kid is a kid like yeah. Yeah. but I you know I, I place them in places where they can do that too yeah. uh, and and it's paid off honestly it's paid off I mean my kids have spent most of their childhood they were spent in outdoors and nature because that's really where they can they can just explore and do everything that they want to do and it's paid off and kids that that are raised where where they're where they are allowed to be a child and mm-hmm. they're not confined do and this is like research back it, it does they do actually grow up to be more independent secure attached independent children Right. Uh, but but it's it, what happens. I think a lot of times is the reverse. Like they try, the parents try to to conform their children and keep them in a right. in a small container early, and then think that that's actually going to teach independence or that's going to actually teach them how to be out in the world feeling safe. And it's Absolutely. not. Right. You know, it's it's the reverse. <laughs> you, can't, you can't you can't teach independence. Like independence no. is is without teaching like you're on your own mm-hmm. oh. and the the point you made too with with hitting being uh, passed down from oppression to me yeah. and also that if you have to rely on hitting then then you're not teaching you're not teaching and I will throw in things like bribes and fears and anything like that. And, and they're easy to fall back on if you were raised with those, like yeah. those, that's, that's what, you know, you know, and it's there, that's going to be at times like, Oh, this is what we do. Oh, wait, no, I'm doing it differently. I'm not yeah. doing that. Uh, and it, it will take just like how, you, how you're experiencing it takes more communication and which is a good thing, you know, because now they're learning how to engage with, someone when things are not always going so well how do you communicate and it takes more intention uh, which is also a good thing so they're not quick fixed things but they're long-term things right so you know it's like putting in the time now for later you know the payoff comes as you see it later and I love that you're doing all of this from your inner wisdom. I'm also in the spiritual realm and right, I grew right. up, you know, I grew up with spirituality. I grew up um, with the, with the concept of, of the earth and ma- and, and magic and, yeah. uh, and the fact that we have what we need inside of us and you're using all the inner wisdom that's inside of you right. to, to be a father. I guess to me, it's, it's such an example. It's, 
Every word you have said is an example of what fatherhood is. You know, fatherhood done in uh, in in your higher self, fatherhood done with that self awareness is that's fatherhood. Like you're providing, as they say, that divine masculinity and connection with him in a way that kids don't always get to to see and experience because people are still trying to grow up, you know, and you're presenting this to him. So it's, it's, it's truly admirable. I really do admire the work that you're doing because I know the work that you're doing is going to reflect in the world when he's out in the world. That's going to be because you made that, you did that work. <laughs> right. And, and another thing I think we need to understand is uh, I don't understand why astrology gets so much hate, <laughs> but if people really understood astrology, like I say astrology is like the cheat code for your life. Like it's like your, your personal cheat book for life. And if people really understood that, they will understand that you can't, you can't raise all kids the same exact way. Um, mm. Like my, like my son, I, my chart, I'm, I'm a Pisces and I believe my son is a Libra and um, his, his mannerisms, behavior patterns, and his interests are not going to be the same as mine. Now, generally, if your kids grow up watching you do stuff, they're going to want to do what you do. But I also understand that I can guide him in the direction that will make his life the easiest, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not like I'm just looking at my kid and like, okay, well, I was raised this way, so I'm going to do it this way. It's just like you have to understand the, the depths of your child. Like you have to understand your child's universe, right? You can't just like, even if you have three or four kids of your own, all of them obviously can't be raised the same way. They're all completely mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yes, but, they are. But again, like if we're, if we're teaching our kids and, and instilling knowledge in them that everybody's unique and different, then when you do something for one kid, the other kid's not going to be upset or jealous saying like you're showing favoritism or you're, you're not taking care of me the same way you take care of them. Right. Because they don't understand that everybody's different. They don't understand that their their psyche is different from yours. Their thought patterns aren't the same as yours. So if you get this person twenty dollars and you give the other one one hundred dollars, it may be that you understand that the person with one hundred, their kid with one hundred dollars might blow through it faster than the one with twenty dollars. The one that you give the twenty two, you understand that he's going to invest it and make it grow. The other one's going to spend it. So. If you're teaching kids like, okay, you're more of a spender, he's more of an investor, then they're not like, oh, the one with the $20 bill is not going to say, well, you gave him a lot more than me. They're going to say, I can get to where he's at, you know? And then Mm -hmm. the one with the $100 is going to say, well, you know, I'm going to try not to spend as much. You know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. they're going to eventually meet somewhere. And then the one who's investing can teach the one who's the mm-hmm. spender. And then the one who's spending can teach the one who's investing to not just invest every dime, go out and have some fun. <laughs> you understand? So, <laughs> Okay, Marcel, you, this example is crazy because I have that too. I have that scenario. And oh, like wow. to the, to like, I have the exact scenario. I'm like, does he know? <laughs> does he know Ocon and Everett? <laughs> well, I've been told I was quite <laughs> <quiet. laughs> 
Because that is, this is the, everything you said. Okay, so I have one kid. My 14-year-old is the saver. He's always been. He's always been. He's actually right. investing right now. He's got wow. stocks. Like, and then wow. I have the the 12-year-old who's the spender. He gets them. Uh, it's like his, it's like his pockets have have holes you know it's like <laughs> it goes in and, and, it, and he gets the money he finds he spends it boom like this right and but he's watching his brother investing oh. his money and and in and and the 14 year old has uh has started to actually now enjoy some of his money you know like he'll go out to to like a 7-eleven or something and like yeah. and buy something you know but the majority of what he earns i mean he's checking the stocks every day like that's how wow. serious he is on this well, and his, the, yeah the 12 well he says it's on his own the 12 year old wow. is now asking me how do i how do i do that because he's watching his brother you know wow. and he's like how do i set up an account so that scenario you gave was was mine. Okay, you just oh. saw you saw into my household. My bad. Stop exposing. <laughs> you know, I I also think when um, when I think about my kids too, I think what I'm parenting is is I'm connecting with their spirit. You could right. because. You're you're right. You can you absolutely cannot apply the same thing to every child. You just can't. They're different spirits. They're okay. different spirits in their own bodies. And mm. so I mentioned this in I think the previous podcast I did, but it's it's when somebody says, What book do you recommend? And and I always get a little red flag about that because I think, okay, you can read books about parenting, get some stuff right. in you, but just keep in mind, no one wrote a book on your kid. You know, yeah. like no one that, that one parenting technique you are using on this kid, it, it's not, may not be applicable to the other kid. Absolutely. You know, it's like, you have to be so connected to yourself that you can be that connected to your child. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, I I know we're getting uh, up on time, and and I don't want to keep you all day, though I could keep you all day. That'd be a really <laughs> long podcast. <laughs> but right. I I would love for you to share one tip, just something that you would like to leave uh, a parent with. Hmm, one one tip that I would like to leave a parent with. Um, I would say to allow your kids to keep you accountable. Mm. Um, I'll use an example. My son, I told my son one day that I was going to take him to the park and, um, I didn't for whatever reason, I think I was too tired or whatever. And at the end of the day, he was like, daddy, you lied to me. You said you're going to take me to the park. And he's like four at the time, three or four. And as you know, most parents would get upset. Like, first of all, lies a cuss word in most households. <laughs> you can't tell your parent you lied. Um, and also, parents don't like to be held accountable because most parents look at it as a authoritative and a subject um, standpoint versus a parent and a child. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was like, you know what, Carter, you're right. I said, I was going to take you to the park and I didn't take you to the park. I apologize. Like I can apologize to my kids. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him I would take him the next day or I would make up for it in some capacity. So I would certainly say to allow your kids to hold you accountable, like listen to your kids, like your, your kids are not going to lie to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you, when you ask them how they feel about you, 
they're not going to lie to you. And and if they do lie to you, you'll, you'll obviously be able to tell. Mm-hmm. Because like if if you're if your parents are afraid of you, if your kids are afraid of you, they're going to tell you they love you because they don't want to have some kind of kickback. But if your child generally loves you, they're going to say that they love you. They're going to come give you a hug. They're going to come sit on your lap. They're going to kiss you on the cheek. Uh, want you to do everything with them. Because my son is constantly playing. Like I got him learning how to code on his iPad. It's like a coding mm. game. And it teaches mm-hmm. him how to code every single level. He wants me to come in a room and watch him do it. If he's if he finds a new dance on Fortnite or Roblox, he wants me to do a <laughs> dance with him. He generally wants me to be a part of his everyday life. Yeah. So I would I would just simply say to allow your kids to hold you accountable and, and listen to what they're saying because they're connected to the spiritual realm as well. They're they're, yes. they're geniuses, they're geniuses at these young ages. I, I told you before I asked my son what does existence mean? And he said, existence means the world of you. And I was mm, like, that was what? one of the most, that was one of the most <laughs> profound things I've ever heard. And he was, what I want to say he was poor. I, he had to have said this during mm. the pandemic. And he said this when he was like, just turning four. And I'm like, oh my wow. gosh, like I wouldn't mm. have even thought of that. Yeah. So I was like, man, I can go to my kid for advice. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I if I need like the most simple, profound spiritual advice, I can ask my son and he'll drop like the most precious gem found mm-hmm. in the deepest cave. <laughs> mm-hmm. So listen to your kids and allow them to hold you accountable. That's so good, Marcel. I love I love that. And holy cow, that answer, man. I yeah. know, I know. <laughs> I'm telling I, you, I tell that I, to everybody. <laughs> Seriously, like they they are they because they're fresh. They just right. got here. You know, like they just right. got here. They're the most connected to spirit. Yeah. And yes. it's fascinating. Man, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. You are well, thank you. 